Hello, friends. Welcome to the Premature Bible Institute. I'm Doug Scheibel, your free-range podcaster uh, for Ethnos 360. I'm just glad you're here for another lesson. Uh, Hopefully, this will be a blessing to you. I'm just, once again, I'm really, really excited that I'm getting into the life of the Deliverer, the Redeemer, the one God promised way back in Genesis 3.15. This is Lesson 68 already, so just to give you an idea how long this has been going on, we've been doing one about every week. And uh, it's just been really, really good. Have you ever wondered what it must have been like for people in the Old Testament, what their view of the Deliverer was going to be like? What it must have been like for them to think about this person, uh, this one who was going to come and and deal with whatever issue they had in their minds they thought he was going to deal with. And, and then for him to come on the scene, you know, we know, like I said, Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zacharias and even Simeon and Anna. Come, they have some foreknowledge or at least a hint that this person is coming. And of course, with Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zacharias, it was very direct uh, because of the angels talking to them. Um, I wonder what they thought about the deliverer, what he was going to be like, what he was going to do, all the preconceptions that they probably had through 4,000 years of history. And, um, <clears throat> and I often wonder how I would have viewed that had I been there at that time. And knowing, growing up in that culture and wondering about this deliverer, whether he was really the one, would I have been skeptical? Would I have been uh, excited? Uh, it's, it's easy for me to look back and be excited. But I'm sure at the time, I'm, a lot of people probably it was skeptical and uh, if that's what they even thought at all. So anyway, we'll just uh, find out as the lesson goes on. Uh, fortunately for you and I, God has given us a record in his word that helps us to understand these things and get everything from his perspective rather than my perspective or someone else's. So uh, that being said, well, let's kind of start with the lesson. And like I always do, we want to start out a little bit with a review of the last lesson. The reason I do the review is so I can continually tie the lessons together so that you see it as one continuous story, not just as one, um, uh, you know, just a series of chopped up events that God decided to give us as you know, like little stories like the three little pigs or as related to uh, the three blind mice. And they're, they're, they're stories that have morals, but they have no connection with each other. All of these stories that we've been talking about, all of these events have connections. And everything is being built upon previously understood information. So um, uh, that being said, let's talk a little bit about last lesson. <coughs> Excuse me. Talked about how John... His job was to prepare the way for the deliverer, and he was doing that. Went there baptizing people, telling them to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, the deliverer would do God's word. Um, but in last lesson, we talked about the deliverer would do what God wanted, but do everything according to what God himself said should happen. So uh, the Son of God would be obedient to the Son of, or to the, the Father. And Everything he did, he would do in relation to what his father wanted, not according to his own standard. He would never think independently of his father. Uh, That's something that uh, we need to understand. So um, the deliverer would do God's will, but in the time and in the way God himself wanted to have happen. So uh, we know that that was what he was going to do. And then there was a situation right after he was baptized uh, where it says the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Now, it isn't that he was out there to just try and tempt him to see if he could sin or would sin. What he wanted 
the Lord Jesus to do is go through the same temptations that people go through, only in a much severer sense because Jesus was out there for 40 days not having any food to eat, and then the tempter came and tempted him. Now, there's three things that he tempted him with. He First, he tempted him. We know uh, um, he had posed particular questions to him, but they were really uh, set it to go at three core values of the Lord Jesus. And one was he challenged Jesus' identity of who he was. If you are the Son of God, you know, so he's challenging his identity, the person that he's supposed to be. And knowing full well who he is, but he wanted Jesus to think independently of his father. Then the second thing he did is he challenged Jesus' dependency on his father. He says, "If you know if these, uh, if uh, you're hungry, make these stones bread and feed yourself." You know that type of thing. Remember, the Lord Jesus says, "I man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." And then the third thing he did is he challenged Jesus' loyalty to his Father. He says, "Listen, fall down, worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth." And so he's told him, "Get out of his sight. You know, I don't want to talk to you." And so Jesus won that round. That was the battle that he had at that particular time. So he challenged Jesus' identity, who he was, his dependency on the Father, and his loyalty his reverence for who his father was. And so Jesus won that round, but Satan and Satan left, but only temporarily. He was still active and still engaged, but maybe not in a such a direct confrontational sort of way. So, okay, now, so now from there we move on to the next one, and we, we come to a a phase, uh, part of this here, which is this kind of like transitional period from when the um, the angel spoke to Elizabeth and John about their coming of their son John. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Elizabeth and Zacharias about their coming son of John. And so now John's work, the messenger who is going to prepare the way, is coming to a close. And so we see this uh, here in Mark 1:14. It says this: Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So John now is in prison, and we'll find out here in just a minute why he's in prison. But that period, that time period where the messenger um, uh, had a message to to preach, that messenger's time is at at an end. So John was a faithful messenger of God. Some choose to believe what John said, and some did not. And those that did uh, followed John, they eventually followed the Lord Jesus. Others did not. Uh, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the you know, the scribes, and so on, and so what happened was uh, John was a righteous man, and he he preached on righteousness and brought out and confronted people on sin, no matter who they were, whether it was the Pharisees or the Sadducees or even Herod himself, and he had Herod had uh, married uh, his brother's wife, and she had a daughter. And so, which was really a sinful thing for them to do. It was wrong for him to marry his sister-in-law. And then, and this wasn't that his brother was dead. His brother was still alive. So he took her into his house. John confronted him about that. You shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. It's sin. And it scared Herod. And so Herod's wife or his sister-in-law, who he had there as his uh, wife anyway, uh, she confronted him on that. says, you need to take care of this guy. He's going to cause problems. And so John had him put in prison. While he was in there, he was still preaching while he was in prison. And so finally, uh, uh, Herod uh, figured, was trying to figure out how to get rid of him. And so what happened was 
Herod's wife figured out a way, but she didn't tell Herod right off the bat. He says, you know, she gave her daughter to Herod to dance around in front of him, and Herod got uh, really aroused, if you want to put it that way, and told her, he says, I'll give you anything you want, up to half of the kingdom. And she says, bring me John's head on a platter. And so this really bothered um, Herod to do that, but he did it. He killed John, cut his head off, and brought it in on a, on a serving dish uh, type of thing. Uh, but just remember this. Here's what John said before he died. In John 30 uh, and 3, uh, verses 30 and 31, he must increase. John's talking here, and he's talking about Jesus. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. <clears throat> he was admitting and proclaiming the deity of Jesus Christ, who he was. He was the Lord from heaven. And so John was talking about Jesus, and he knew that Jesus was to have the preeminence, not John. Uh, I remember uh, when we were in New Guinea, we had a, um, uh, well, I shouldn't say this. That isn't how I meant it. Let me take that back. I used to have a poster uh, and a uh, display for my display table. They used to have a picture of a particular tribe in New Guinea. And what it is, it's, it's a, what I use is a picture of what the mature church looks like. And so what you have is this uh, native guy teaching the people in the village. They're literate. They have Bibles, translation. Uh, the men, women, children, everybody's included. It's just, and it's just showing what a mature church looks like uh, out there. And there's the man that's teaching is from a different village and so on. And I've been showing this picture to college students for a long time, and I asked them what they saw in there. Tell me what they saw in there that gave them any indications this was a maturing church. Well, <clears throat> as time went on, one day a student brought up something that I had never noticed before. And she says, hey, there's a white guy in this picture. And I looked at it, and sure enough, there was. There was a guy sitting in the crowd in the back, and he was a white guy. All you could see is his head. And uh, she says, but he's out of focus. And I went, good metaphor. I says, that's the point. Uh, Christ must increase, we must decrease. And that was a good picture for what this verse is here, that as missionaries, our goal in the beginning, of course, is to proclaim the message. By nature, we'll have the preeminence in the beginning, because we're teaching. But the goal is to work back from there so that Christ has the preeminence and he must increase and we as missionaries must decrease. Fade out of the picture eventually so that Christ himself has uh, the honor and glory that he deserves. So uh, we want Christ to have the preeminence. Now John saw God's world from God's perspective. And uh, so that's what he did. He looked at every everything in the proper way. See, John knew that he was the messenger, but he also knew that Jesus was the message. And so that's what he was proclaiming, Jesus Christ, and what uh, that he was going to be the deliverer, the redeemer. Our responsibility is to believe God and to align ourselves with him. Find out what's important to God, make that important to ourselves. And so this is what's happening. This is all really uh, going well. Uh, John uh, knew all of these things. And John was willing to suffer whatever consequence there was. Um, there was a, a uh, world-class economist by the name of Thomas Sowell who's uh, uh, studied at Harvard and studied under Milton Friedman. And he made a little statement one time. He says, you know, he says, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. 
Now, you may wonder why I'm using that particular quote for this. And what he was saying is, no matter what choice you make, to say yes to something means by nature you're saying no to something else, and vice versa. If you say no to something, then you're saying yes to something else. And what John was doing here was he was saying yes to God and no to everything else. And that's what he wants us to be like. We want He wants us to be people that say yes to him, and whatever the consequences are, let's go with it. See, this whole message, this whole scripture I just talked about, about, um, well, I'll, I'll read it here in just a second. Uh, and um, anyway, John, after John died, that whole passage there really deals with the whole prosperity gospel sort of thing, where if you follow Christ, you're going to get all health, wealth, and all this stuff. John followed Christ to the nth degree, and what did it cost him? It cost him his life, but only his earthly life, not his eternal one. He was already a believer, and God, he was secure in Christ and in God himself. And so that's the whole point, is that we need to be uh, keep ourselves aligned with him. So uh, John <clears throat> uh, begins to start teaching. I'm sorry, not John, but Jesus begins his teaching ministry. Now, it says this in verse 14 and 15 of uh, Mark 1. Now, I read this before. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here's this message, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is what? The gospel of the kingdom of God. You know, in the New Testament, there's also another gospel. It says the gospel of the grace of God. And they're different, and you need to study those things out. I'm not going to get into it right now. It's not time for that. But you need to understand there is a kingdom here that Jesus Christ is proclaiming. And that kingdom is something that uh, he is going to be proclaiming throughout his whole ministry here. But he's going to talk about other things. So repent and believe in the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Faith is simply, he wants people to believe him by faith. And now faith is simply believing that what God says is true. Okay, that's what faith is. Faith, in, faith is believing that what God says is true. Hebrews eleven six it says this, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and why, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith you cannot please God. You cannot believe it by works or by assumptions. You need to believe it by faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing that what God said is true. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? He is God. Okay? And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He will benefit. That is the trade-off. To believe God may cost us in some areas, but it rewards us in other areas far greater than we could possibly imagine. So it's up to you. You know, many of you are in college and in high school or in jobs and whatever. What is it you're taking to heaven with you? There's only one thing in the world that you'll ever take to heaven, and that's other people. And so if you can keep your mind focused on that, just remember the things that we labor for, we give our times for, there's certain things that we have needs for. There's no doubt about it. food, transportation. This is These are things that we have to have. But you need to ask yourself, what is it you're willing to give your life for? Or let me put it a different way. What is it you're willing to give up everything for in order to live for him? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. 
Now, I want to give you some examples of faith that we've seen before. I'm just going to remind you of them. God accepted Abel, not because he was um, uh, perfect and that he wasn't a sinner, but because he believed what God said and brought the acceptable sacrifice to him. That's the point. He believed what God had said in the past. God accepted Noah, Enoch and took him to heaven because he believed God, it said. God accepted Noah and his family. Why? Because they believed what God had said was going to happen. And so he built an ark to save them from God's judgment on the earth. God accepted Abraham. Why? Because he believed God and left the country of his birth. Uh, he went to a country which God would afterwards show him. He did. He never did see it, did he? I mean, he just, uh, the whole point is, is that, uh, I, I take it back, he did see it. What I mean is that he didn't see that city whose builder and maker is God. Um, God accepted Moses and Israel because they believed God when he said he was going to send an angel to destroy the firstborn in Egypt. They believed him. They put the blood on the doorposts and so on. God accepted Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they were perfect? Because they were good? No, because they believed God when he said he would give them the land of Canaan uh, to the Israelites and take, it, and take it away from all those who had been sinning and turning their back on God. So these people please God, and the works, uh, um, let me say that, Ben. These people believed uh, God, and their works were a result uh, that showed that they believed him, okay? Jesus was telling people that a new ruler was coming, all right? Belief in him, uh, in this ruler, would deliver them from the penalty of sin, all right? Belief in this ruler, this, uh, in him, would deliver them from the power of sin, and belief in him would change the relationship between the believer and the creator, okay? So up to this point, they were under the power of sin, they were under the penalty of sin, and they were under the, a relationship, not with, they had a relationship, not with God, but with the one who was the enemy of God, Satan himself. And this uh, deliverer was coming to deliver them. That's the point of the name. So what did he do? Did he just... Uh, Go around teaching this message and leave it to that? No, he decided to choose some men to help him in his work. Not because he needed help. He was the God of the universe who created everything. He doesn't need anything. But what he wanted to do was pass this work on to others so they, in turn, could be a part of the work that God wanted to do, just like he does with you and me. So in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, it says this, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay, this was their job. This is what they lived, ate, and breathed by, was fishing. Then Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately, they didn't wait around and hesitate, immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So <laughs> these guys left their business, their family, their friends, everything, right there in front of his own dad, their own dad. The, the other, those two guys left, and everybody else that was there, I'm sure people said, what in the world's going on here? So they go and they leave everything. They left their livelihood, they left everything that was their identity, and decided to set that in for God himself, and that's what they did. Uh, so he called them, said to come after him, he says, 
I'm not going to make you fish after fish because fish only last for a second. But I'm going to have you fish for something that's, that can be eternal, that will last forever. So Jesus chose men to train and send, uh, to send them out and tell others that the Deliverer had arrived. God wanted them to tell others that the Deliverer was here. He, he was on the scene now. The synagogues, uh, which, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I've got ahead of myself. Uh, G, like I said before, Jesus didn't need their help, but he wanted to give them the chance to be a part of his work, all right? Jesus wanted people to have the privilege of knowing who he was and working with their creator. And <clears throat> that's an amazing thing to think about. God himself coming down in human flesh and deciding to let us work with him. Uh, doesn't make any sense. He didn't need us. but that And it isn't because he trusted us in the sense that he knew we wouldn't make a mistake. It's just that he wanted, he knew they could never have the privilege if he didn't come. But because he came, now we could have a privilege of doing that. We may fail, but we can still succeed, too, at different things. We just need to live for the Lord Jesus, right? Um, so when uh, Jesus was doing that, he gathered these, some of these guys together. And as time goes on, you'll see more and more will be uh, gathered into this group. And then what he would do is he'd go and teach, and he'd preach at different places, and a lot of times in synagogues. Now, synagogues were those little places where the Jewish people went to meet, uh, every uh, Sabbath day, and they were taught the scriptures there. I don't know whether they had discussions or whatever, or if they discussed the scriptures, but they did. And sometimes people would go in there and start sharing some things. And uh, the Lord Jesus did this also. So let's just see here where what what kind of a teacher was he? So it says uh, now when people wanted to be taught the word of God, like I said, they went into the synagogues. Uh, the synagogues were close uh, to the people so that they didn't have to travel very far because the law limited how far they could travel on a Sabbath day, so they had to be close by. Um, Jesus went there also, and he started sharing some of his thoughts. And here's one of them he's decided to share. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. So the scribes were just those guys that got up and stood, and they were real stiff and whatever, I guess. And they didn't teach like they believed it. They just taught because that's what they were supposed to do. But not Jesus Christ. He taught as someone who had real authority. And we'll see here in a minute what that uh, is like. Now, when Jesus taught God's word, uh, he taught it as it was meant to be taught. He taught with authority, he taught with truth, passion, grace, love, anger, etc. So whenever the, uh, Jesus taught, his characteristics went with him. So his, his authority of who he was, the truth, the, the, the God cannot lie, uh, was also there. His passion, because it was true and he uh, could say with forcefulness, his grace went with that, his love, his anger. All of those attributes were included or part of his teaching persona, if you want to put it that way. So whatever the scriptures were meant to be taught like, he was teaching it like that. And you couldn't have taught it any better than he did. And so that's what he did. Whatever the scriptures taught, his nature and character were involved in that teaching. Okay? So that's what point. He only taught in the way that the Father would want him to teach. He didn't go off on his own tangent and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to go do my own thing. 
He taught as his father wanted to te- wanted him to teach. He wasn't going to do anything against his father's will. Uh, he did not add or subtract from God's teaching. He just wouldn't do it. He knew that what he was he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Let me say this over. I want to emphasize this. He knew what he was talking about, and guess what? So did the people who were hearing him teach. That's the interesting thing about him. The 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 people that loved him knew exactly what he meant. But the people that hated him did also. And that's why they hated him, is because they knew exactly what he was saying. And if it was cutting in the, uh, cutting at them, it was cutting at them. But that's what the scriptures were meant to do in that particular case. All right? Um, he understood the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. See, the spirit of the law is like a 20-mile-an-hour speed zone in a school zone. And, this, and the letter of the law. The letter of the law says go 20 mile an hour. And a person can do that and just, you know, go 20 mile an hour and not know why. Not being attentive. But the reason for the spirit or the 20 mile an hour speed limit is because of children. And so we know how children are, especially when they're young. They'll run out from in between cars and so on. See, the spirit of the, the letter of the law says I go 20 mile an hour. I never slow down. Even if you see a kid running across the street, you could... And even if you don't, it doesn't even take into account that a kid could run out of there. But the spirit of the of that uh, speed limit says, okay, there's 20 mile an hour speed limit. That means that there's kids around. I need to be watching. And so I know that as I go 20 mile an hour, I'm always looking at where cars are parked or butted up against each other, thinking a kid could run out in front of me. So I'm always ready for that. Um, so <clears throat> anyway, he understood the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. Um, Moses' words came to life when he spoke. Why? Because he was life. That's the thing. He spoke with life because he is life. And that's what made him really, really unique. Now, um, so we know he taught with authority. And the nice thing about him, another attribute that he's going to bring out about himself is not only does he teach with authority, but he has authority over the spirits too. So he has authority over the teaching. Now he has authority over the spirits themselves. And uh, reading here in verse 23 through 28, now there was a man in their synagogue, so he's talking about the synagogue, with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee." So it didn't take long. Now listen, you can say bad news travels fast, but let me tell you, so does good news, especially news like this. And so they're sitting there watching this whole thing. So he's in there teaching in the synagogue, and all of a sudden this man with an unclean spirit or a demon, it's one of those spirits that rebelled against God way back in the beginning. And now they're not allowed to be in his presence. And so they're deciding, these spirits are deciding to do something. And I want to re- reveal a couple things here about this, all right? So this man has this spirit. Um, evil spirits, like I said, they don't care about people. They just don't. They don't care about anybody. They care about themselves. Uh, they knew who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is. 
I mean, isn't that what he says? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They knew who he was. Well, how would they know? Well, they were with him. And God created them. And so when God created them, they knew who the Son was. The Son was the Creator also. So they knew who he was. They knew that Jesus would eventually judge them. And so they're scared to death here going on. Uh, Jesus, let me say something about this. Um, Jesus did not want the evil spirits speaking on his behalf. Evil spirits are liars. They're deceivers. He doesn't want anyone talking about it. Even though they're speaking a true thing here, they're speaking to him when they're saying it, not to other people. So uh, he doesn't want them. He doesn't want the evil spirits to be his representatives. He's chosen another route, another way of um, avenue by which he would get this message out about who he was. One, we see a few, a couple, uh, the angel Gabriel talking to uh, uh, John or Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we see it also with uh, Mary and Joseph. So that's one time, and we see some passages in the Old Testament. But uh, in the case of the evil spirits, he doesn't want them talking and uh, proclaiming who he is. Jesus didn't want them. The demons, but even so, even the demons, what did they have to do? They had to obey him. So when he told them to leave and get out of that man, they had to leave. It had to leave. The spirit was gone. And the people were amazed at this. Why would the spirits have to leave just because Jesus said to go? Because they know who owned, They knew who owned them. And Jesus is the owner of all the spirits as right of creator. So it wasn't hard for him to tell them to leave. He had every right to, had the authority, and the spirits, like I said once before, they couldn't even exist unless God allowed them to. So he took care of that. So we see his authority in teaching. We see his authority over the spirits. And he also has authority over diseases. Um, in verses 34 through 39, it says, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they, because they knew him. That's why he didn't want them proclaiming him. Now, in the more, because more than likely, and I would say so, if the, the demons were to proclaim Christ, they would lie about it somehow, just like Satan did. And did God really say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Well, he knew what he said. Of course he didn't. You will not die. See, Satan started lying about what God had said right off the bat. He was calling God a liar. These demons would do the same thing, so he didn't allow them to speak. Okay, uh, he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, <coughs> excuse me, my throat's kind of dry. Excuse me, I want to take a little drink here. I'm not trying to advertise. Um, uh, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So this was a big deal. He was casting out demons. He was causing uh, people who were sick to be uh, healed um, and other things. And we'll see this more as time goes on. But the point is, I, something I want to get, uh, make, uh, get across here too is 
He didn't heal everybody. He didn't cast out every demon. He just, there were a lot of things that he didn't do. He did some things, but those were proof of who he was. Uh, he was showing the people that he had authority over all of these things. And that only person that could have that would be God himself. So he was uh, showing people who he was. Now, remember, since Jesus is God, the Son, he is the creator of all things and therefore the owner of all things that exist. And we talked about that. Sin and evil are the result of a disobedience to God's will and design for which, uh, for which everything was created. In other words, God created people for a reason. And they were to operate under his will and design because that's what he wanted for them. They chose to rebel against him, and now sin and evil are the result of that, of that disobedience. That wasn't God's design in order to uh, have them do that. And what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is God doesn't design evil because whatever God does, like I said, is a reflection of who he is. God designed them to be good, but God gave them the capability of of disobedience and, and obedience at the same time. He gave them a choice. They chose, as the old saying, they chose poorly. And as a result, sin and, and death came into the world. And so that's what's happening here. This is the result of Adam's sin. All of this that you're seeing there, the death, the demons, all that stuff, is simply a result of Adam's sin. Now, <clears throat> um, the one who gave life can take it away. We saw that in with Adam's sin. But the one who took the life, in other words, the one who uh, pronounced that judgment, can also give life back again. Now, he will do things in a way that is consistent with who he is. But uh, he can do that, and but he'll do it on his terms, not man's. Man can't demand anything of God. Uh, whatever God does, he does because he wants to and of his own free will. And man <clears throat> has to come to him <coughs> in a way God uh, wants him to. He still does all these things today. Uh, and we will see this as the lessons progress. God does things according to his own will and plan and his own desire to do so. So then uh, not long after that, in verse 40, we see that a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay, do you think leprosy would be any harder for the Lord uh, to cure than a common cold? Well, of course not. He owns every atom in the universe. It wouldn't be hard at all for him to do that. Uh, would the leper be able to heal himself? No, he couldn't. That's why he's coming to this person by the name of Jesus is to get healed. Um, the leper did not doubt Jesus' ability to heal him. He says, "You, if you will, you can make me clean. All right. So he wasn't doubting whether he could do it. He was just asking him, will you do it? In other words, uh, if you want to do this, you can. All right. So he's coming to the only person that there is that can do it. He only knew that Jesus was the only one who could take care of this problem. This is what true faith looks like. When you come to God on God's terms and you recognize he's the only hope you've got, that's the point there. Sin is just spiritual leprosy. You know, and we have to come to the only one who can heal us of that spiritual leprosy, that sin. The only one who can do it is the Lord Jesus. So what did Jesus do? Uh, he came to him asking him, what did he do? Let's look in verses 41 and 42. And Jesus, moved with compassion, 
put out his hands and touched him and said, uh, put out his hand, I'm sorry, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And that's something when Jesus touches someone, they become clean, but he doesn't become unclean. It isn't that he transferred the sickness to himself. He took care of the sin, the sickness once and for all. See, it's funny, isn't it? An unclean man can touch Jesus and become clean, but Jesus can touch an unclean man and not become unclean and still stay clean. That's the difference. That's what absolute, uh, I don't want to say cleanliness, but absolute purity uh, can do. It stays absolute. It never is tainted by anything else. Uh, so anyway, he did this, and it was just an amazing thing. What an act of faith. And we'll have another story coming up here before too long. I really want to get into it because it really emphasizes this a lot, and I just like it a lot. So consider the difference between the demons and Jesus. The demons wanted to afflict this man, um, and Jesus wanted to heal him. That's the difference. See, the demons don't do anything for your benefit, but Jesus always does do things for your benefit. Um, the man did not have to go to the demons to be afflicted, but he did have to go to Jesus to be healed. So when Jesus wants us to come, Jesus isn't out there looking for us to, to heal us. He wants He's already revealed himself, and he's revealed himself to me in the sense of through the Word of God, and now he wants me to take that message to other people, you know? He doesn't bypass me to witness to other people. When I say me, I don't mean me personally. I mean us, the church. He's decided to use the church as the means by which the world will be brought to him. And so we have to be that. And I can prove that from Scripture later on. Um, so anyway, just remember what, um, well, let me say this. God's enemies, the the demonic world, the evil spirits, um, they always want to afflict him. Um, a lot of uh, afflict people, but God always wants to bring people back to him, make things better in that way. Um, many think of God as being harsh and judgmental and tormenting people, uh, but this is what God's enemies think God wants to do. All right? They're always talking about, well, God, if God is all powerful and good, and like the Lex Luthor thing on Batman versus Superman thing, you know, if God is all good, he cannot be all powerful. If he's all powerful, he cannot be all good, and blah, 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 that type of stuff. See, that's how they look at God. But we see all the other attributes of God at the same time. He's also compassionate. He cares. He's gracious. He's just. And he will do things the proper way. And he always wants to bring people to himself. Uh, God is gracious, but he's also just. And he doesn't violate one characteristic to do another, to implement another one. He does both at the same time. He will not violate. God always desires for people to come to him rather than stay in Satan's family. He does not want anybody to stay in Satan's family at all. How do I know? Like in Ezekiel 33, 11, once again, I reach that. As I live, says the Lord God. Now, I want you to understand this. As I live, as I live, he says, on my word, I say this. I give you my promise. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. He says, as I live. You know, I didn't even think about this till just now, but that is a very strong statement. Anything else it would be saying God is a liar. 
But he says, as I live, just as sure as I am the living God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. That's God's word. That's what he wants. So anyway, uh, that's the end of this lesson. I just want to say thank you guys once again for coming in. I appreciate so much the fact that you listen to these. I know I make I'll probably make little <clears throat> mistakes here and there, little word mistakes or whatever. Uh, bypass those. You, uh, I think from the all the stuff I'm telling you, you know what I really think. But uh, I just appreciate you all so much for coming. And please tag some friend, help some, uh, have some friend listen to these uh, podcasts and just tell them to get on uh, their favorite podcast app and just look up my name, Doug Scheibel, S-C-H-A-I-B-L-E. And then also on YouTube, you can watch them if you want to. Same thing, just look up Doug Scheibel and uh, you can get either one of those. Next week, we're going to continue on with the the life of, of Jesus. And so I just want to say thank you guys once again. I appreciate so much you coming. Bye.